The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 through 25. These verses are the backdrop for this nine-week preaching series beginning this morning that takes us up to Palm Sunday and Holy Week. Listen now to what the Apostle John writes in his first letter about love and about God and about us. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. These words set the stage for what God wants me to bring to you this morning from the scriptures and from God's own heart. Please pray with me. Holy Father, open our eyes to see, open our minds to understand, and open our hearts to believe what you have for us through your Son who rescues us and your Holy Spirit who guides us in your ways. Amen. Jesus regularly would tell stories, give parables, and describe things by metaphors to help us listeners catch a glimpse at least and begin to understand God's ways and God's plans. One of the metaphors often used was agriculture, in part because the Hebrew people were an agricultural society, raising livestock and growing crops, particularly tree crops. Today, when you travel in Israel, you will find extensive groves of trees. Most of them are olive trees. Some of the world's finest olive oil comes from Israel. I have some here on the table this morning that is used regularly for anointing people and praying for healing in their life. You will also on the hillside see small flocks of sheep grazing, especially near the town of Bethlehem. Not as many sheep as in Jesus' day, because there's no longer a temple and the need for sacrificial lambs to be offered to God in worship is no longer necessary in Israel. That sets the backdrop for the metaphor and parable being used this morning in this sermon. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, or it'll be on the screen, to Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are the Sermon on the Mount Jesus gave on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee on the hillside that goes down to the water's edge. Here Jesus is giving his listeners a teaching of God's truth, and he uses both sheep and crops to illustrate it. Beginning with verse 15. 
He says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. He points out, It is possible to wear costumes or masks that conceal what's really inside. There's been charades that have gone on since the beginning of humanity. Verse 16, By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Using the metaphor of fruit, not merely what shows, but what is produced defines what that thing is in the beginning. Verse 17, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. He points out, good produces good. Bad produces bad. In our day, when the computers first started coming out and they became our phones and they became our iPads, they became our devices that were with 24-7, the phrase was garbage in, garbage out. Same thing. Bad bears bad, good bears good. He intensifies. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. He's intensifying of what a tree can produce and what people can produce. Every tree in verse 19, he says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Trees, people who do not bear good will be cut down and they become firewood. In one sense, they're still useful but not for fruit bearing. In verse 20, thus by their fruit you will recognize them. By what people produce, you will know them. There's so many ways to illustrate that. I'll use one. I love driving a boat in the inland waterways of the west coast of Florida. We go shelling in some of the uninhabited islands that are along those waterways south of Naples. And almost the entire way it says, no wake zone. We leave a wake wherever we go. Is the wake causing excitement and joy like the wake of a deep-seated boat creating a wave that people can ride all kinds of toys on? That would be fun. Or are we creating a wake that causes things to be damaged because it's a no-wake zone and the waves are causing boats to crash against the docks to which they're tied? We all leave a wake. Look behind us. What have we left in our wake? By their fruit, you'll recognize them. These words from Jesus remind us that God reveals the fruit of love because that is God's nature. That is God's character. Whether we're speaking of the Father or of the Son or of the Holy Spirit, and God's intended result in our lives is to produce the fruit of love that serves as his demonstration of his character in our lives. That's the wake we're to leave. That's the fruit we are to bear. Here's a profound truth. Salvation is not primarily about what we get, 
It's about what we become. It's not what we receive from God. It's what we are as a result of what we receive from God. It's what we are in our world. The creation story of Genesis tells us that we're made in the likeness of God. The writings of the Apostle Paul declare that we are being transformed into the image of his son, Jesus. All this is being done by the Holy Spirit whom we receive in his fullness at our salvation. So that what we are to look like, what we are to be like is revealed by him in us. We begin to unveil the answer to these questions about what we look like and what we're to be like. We begin with love. That is the fruit of the Spirit of God. In Christ, we begin to look like and we begin to become like love. In our world, when someone says, oh, they're a lover, it's usually not a compliment. But that's what Christians are made to be, lovers. Lovers of others. In the full sense of the term, we're to be loving people. That's the sign of whether or not the Spirit really dwells and Jesus has really rescued us. So, what is love? William Barclay writes, A lad loves a lass. In the Gaelic language, it offers him 20 different ways to tell her so. Not so for us who speak English, right? We have one word. The word is love. It means way too many things. It serves way too many purposes. Stuart Briscoe in his book Spirit Life captures our problem. I quote him. It's a rather lengthy, but it's little snippets along the way. Love is a warm puppy. I read one day on an ornamented plaque. Love is never having to say you're sorry. I heard that in a movie. Love is a sickness full of woes I learned from high school reading Shakespeare. Love is like the measles. Everybody catches it sometimes. I was advised by a cynical friend. And to my astonishment, he writes, I learned one day love makes the world go round. Moreover, I discovered love is something you make on occasions, fall into on other times. It's been known to produce broken hearts and goosebumps, loss of appetite and starry eyes. It has inspired some to die and others to kill. Love, it can readily be seen, may make the world go round, but it certainly causes a lot of confusion in the process. End of quote. It means way too many things in our world, in our language. But Jesus demonstrates for us the unilateral love of God by giving himself for our salvation before we even knew him, even when we were his enemies, even when we were against the ways of God. Jesus demonstrates the unilateral love of God. The Apostle Paul clearly defines both what love is and what love is not in the 13th chapter of his first letter to the church in Corinth. Carol, thank you for singing that chapter to us this morning for those of us who were able to get here a little early. It was beautiful. This morning I want to give you this definition which I believe has been given by the Holy Spirit. It's confirmed by the scripture. 
And it might help us practically to see what God's intention is for us in love, being the fruit he desires to produce in our lives. It's this. Love is choosing to continuously foster a relationship and seek the highest good for another, no matter the response of the other. Or I might say, no matter the reaction of the other. Love, biblical Christian love, is primarily an act of God. When we are redeemed, it becomes a choice for us to obediently and graciously receive God's love and to obediently and graciously allow God to love his work through our lives. I want to be clear. Love is not something we conjure up. It's not out of our own will. It is a choice based first and only on our relationship with God. God is the, love is the fruit of God in our lives. It is not our fruit. It is God's fruit. People don't actually love on their own. God makes it possible. Philip Keller in his book, A Gardener Looks at the Fruit of the Spirit, writes, God does not dispense the fruit of his spirit apart from himself. I only have the love of God to the degree that God gives, lives his life in and through my own. Page 84 of his book. Secondly, as in all gardens, there are weeds that need to be rooted out. For most of us, the weed to love is not hatred, even though that is a weed to love. Hatred is the result of something else. It's the result of selfishness. Me first, my way, my rights, mine. That kind of thinking, which is prevalent in our culture. And sadly, it's become prevalent in the church. As I see it, and as I understand the Bible, this my way problem is a central issue God is seeking to transform in our lives. Throughout the Bible, we see three things. It points out the disaster of my way thinking and my way living. It points out God's model of living and thinking. And it points out how to get from my way to God's way. You see, God has chosen to continuously foster a relationship with us and seek the highest good for us, no matter our response, no matter our reaction. Because God is love. So he started the ball rolling in that direction. In his book, Raboni, Philip Keller writes, Just as there is stored within an atom enormous power because of the interaction between neutrons, protons, and electrons, likewise, there is inherited unlimited energy in the Godhead because of the interrelationship between the Father, Son, and Spirit. And the essence of this energy is love. Choosing love. What Jesus did is an example of this. Listen to Philippians. Being in very nature God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Why? Because he chose us and all of the us's that have ever been and all of the us's that ever will be, he chose to love. And Jesus showed his choice 
with his first words after the cross slid into the hole and he's hanging there on it, his first words, give his heart to us. Father, forgive them. These are the people who sought his death. These are the people who inflicted his wounds. Those were those who were jeering at him. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Luke 23, 34. So God's love, biblical love, chooses the other and makes the other the focus of attention and care. Biblical love, which is from God, it's modeled by Jesus. It's meant to redeem us. It transfers our character. It can only grow where the weed of selfishness is being rooted out. If we are thinking like our culture, primarily about me and my and mine, we're walking in the weeds. We have several gardens around our house where Carolyn grows these beautiful flowers and has planted these flowering bushes. It's gorgeous. And every year we go and weed, and we weed, and we weed. I think about my life. I love to produce love. I do. I really do. It's fun to love on people. Some make it more challenging than others. My problem is I need to keep loving them, period. That's what love is supposed to be. But I need to weed out me. John the Baptist said it well when he said, I must decrease, he must increase, speaking of Jesus. That's a mantra that I'm learning to use along with, Lord, what would you have me to do? Those are helpful reminders of what God wants to produce in my life, in our life together. But there's also artificial fruit. How many of you really like artificial flowers? Oh, come on. I moved into my office in Edina, Minnesota, decades ago when I was pastoring there. And they had two wonderful offices for me. If I've told you this story, just remember I'm pushing 74, so it doesn't matter anymore. I repeat. (laughs) And in the one office that was a people office, one was a work office and one was a people office. In the people office, they had this beautiful fern. It was gorgeous. It was dead in a month. I didn't remember you had to water them. So they bought me a gorgeous, from Bachman's Florist in South Minneapolis, they bought me this wonderful artificial fern. It looked so real. It was amazing. I put it too close to the space heater and the backside of it melted. (laughs) I kill artificial flowers. My wife just looks at me and shakes her head and walks away. But there's artificial fruit as well. And the artificial fruit to God's love, to biblical love, to the fruit of the Spirit love, is what I would call limited love. What is the characteristic that distinguishes this? It's love that's based on the response of the other person. It's like this. Someone says, I love you. And then they look at you and say nothing more. 
I remember my wife and I used to play that game when we were first married. She would turn over and say, I love you. What she was really doing was asking me, will you tell me that you love me? Well, honey, tell me that then so I know what it is you're saying to me. You should be able to figure it out, Craig. Well, okay, I guess I should. But when someone says, I love you, and then asks, do you love me? If the answer is no, here's what the response often is in limited love. Well, then I don't love you either. That's limited love. That's fickle love. That's loving Jesus on Palm Sunday and wanting him crucified on Good Friday love. That's I love you if you behave, you're in trouble and you're not going to feel any love from me when you disbehave. I'm going to love you if we agree on what needs to be done in our country. But if you disagree with me what needs to be done in our country, I don't love you at all. And you can leave. I mean, really leave. That's the artificial fruit. Listen to Jesus from Luke chapter 6. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. That's what Jesus wants to produce in our lives. This is hard. We don't dismiss it because it's hard. We help each other because it's hard. We care for each other because it's hard. We encourage each other because it's hard. But it's right. I love you if is limited love. It's not the love of God. It's not what God intends. It's the artificial fruit. With God, love is on. And I cannot find in Scripture where there's an off with God's love. So, how do I cultivate the real fruit of God's love in my life? First, I be obedient to what God, our Lord, has said. A beautiful tradition came down the centuries in the church concerning the last days in the life of the Apostle John. It says that John gathered his disciples for a final farewell message, and as he looked into their faces with all the tenderness of the parting moment, he said to them, Little children, love one another. They responded, We've heard that message before. You've been telling us that from the beginning. Give us some other word. Looking at them, he said with increasing tenderness, Little children, that which you heard from the beginning I say to you, love one another. Oh, they replied, but you have given us that message ever since we have known you. Now that you're going away, we want some parting word by which to remember you. Give us some other commandment tonight. And for the final time, John looked at them and said, Little children, Dear little children, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Our love for Christ is gauged not by the measure of our emotion, 
nor the measure of our words, nor the measure of our worship. The love of Christ we have is gauged by the measure of our obedience to love one another. Jesus said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John 14, 15. And in his first letter, the Apostle John writes, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. 1 John 4, 19 through 21. So be obedient to what God our Lord has said to us. And second, be a doer of love. For those who are married, and I know there are several who are not married, and that's perfectly fine. But to those who are married, when you said your marriage vows, you did not promise to feel something. There was no promise about feeling. You promised to do. You promised to do faithfulness, no matter the circumstances. You promised to do what is needed to make the relationship work. You didn't say, I feel. You said, I do. The truth is, deed or action can produce feeling. Good feeling or bad, depending upon the action, the deed that we act out. Today, people seem to be letting their feelings produce their actions, and that's why we're in the trouble we're in. The Bible teaches us to do love to all people in every circumstance. Turning again to 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4, love, it says, is patient. It is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So it gives us the help of saying, here's what it doesn't do. Here's what it does do. But it's doing. Love is a doing. We show it. We present it. We act on it. We speak it. We share it. Throughout the remainder of this series, beginning next week, I'll be giving another metaphor on the fruit of the Spirit. And eventually, some things in this sanctuary will begin to grow and change. It's a metaphor of a diamond. And my sense is that we need to understand we are all diamonds in the rough. Every human being is a diamond in the rough. And the diamond is love. And the facets are the eight other expressions of the fruit of the Spirit, all of which are part of love, all of which are love examined in certain ways that create a beautiful, beautiful diamond. So us diamonds in the rough, being formed in the image of Christ to become a dazzling diamond in our world, will discover that in the fruit of the Spirit. I conclude with this illustration. A five-year-old girl whose name was Mary underwent a very serious operation. She had lost considerable blood and needed a transfusion immediately. The blood bank was low. 
So quickly in checking with the rest of Mary's family, the test showed that the blood of her brother matched hers perfectly. The doctor said to Jimmy, will you give your sister some of your blood? Jimmy set his teeth and said, yes, sir, if she needs it. At once they prepared Jimmy for the transfusion and taking the blood, the doctor noticed Jimmy was getting quite pale and they hadn't even started the process yet of taking the blood. There was no apparent reason for his paleness. Are you feeling ill, Jimmy? asked the doctor. No, sir. I'm just wondering when will I die? Die? The doctor gasped. Do you think people die when they give blood to someone else? Yes, sir, said Jimmy. And you were going to give your life today for your sister? Yes, sir, he said. May God help us to choose love like that. That is the love of God. That is God's intended result in the lives of people who claim to be followers of Jesus. That is the fruit of his spirit. Pray with me. Father, you love us so much. You send Jesus. Jesus, you love us so much, you come to rescue us. Holy Spirit, you love us so much, you choose to live within us. Help us all to be people of love, both receiving yours and giving it away to others. In your loving name, Jesus, we pray this. Amen.